Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh. Bet you all tired of hearing the constant blather. In the end, you just want to know that laughing matters. From entrepreneurs to Fortune 500, humor makes the world go round. You didn't know? It's a fit for a pro, like a roll with spaghetti. To keep your culture light when times are heavy. So sit back and relax as you raise the bar. When it all comes down to the ha, ha, ha. Yeah, make him laugh, make him laugh, huh? You make him laugh, make him laugh. Welcome once again to Laughing Matters, a podcast which still to this day is like no other you'll ever hear anywhere else in the world. And we continue to explore the power of humor and laughter in a world that still sorely lacks both and how leaders from all over the world are using humor to take the edge off. I'm your co-host, Paul Merchan, Senior Vice President at Peppercom, and I'm joined as always by the big cheese, the co-host Steve Cody, CEO of Peppercom. Hello, Steve, and good afternoon to you. Hello to you, Paul. Greetings to all my friends in Raleigh, North Carolina, and to our listening audience, which is comprised of your four children. That's right. All, all based in Raleigh, North Carolina. So not my wife. I'm glad you, you mentioned, you didn't mention hers. So she's not listening. My kids are, though. So at least we've got those four. Yes, they're very um, loyal. Yes, exactly. We'll get my wife on uh, to listen next time. But uh, maybe she will after today because we have a, a wonderful guest today. We have uh, the great pleasure of interviewing the boss. Uh, she is the CEO of Ruder Finn, one of the largest independent communications firms in the world, and also uh, happens to be Peppercon's parent company uh, after acquiring our firm earlier this year. She's got more than 30 years of experience, 30 years developing communications programs. She works closely with C-suite executives to highlight the impact their business has on society. She's a board member of the Foundation for the National Institutes of Health and the Partnership for New York City and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the advisory board of the Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs. She has a BA from Brown University, an MA and PhD from Columbia in political science, but her passion outside of the workplace is in the water as she is an avid swimmer. And finally, she also happens to have PR greatness in her blood. Her father, David Finn, who sadly passed away at the age of 100, is widely considered to be one of the founding fathers of our industry. So with that, we give a warm welcome to Kathy Bloomgarden. Hello, Kathy. Steve and Paul, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So looking forward to the conversation and going over what makes fun real and more of an important part of our lives. We appreciate that, Kathy. And thanks so much for joining us. As you know, the podcast is all about the power of humor in business. And uh, I want to just kick off with a general question and then also share some stats that were just released by Oracle. So it, it appears that, that humor in business is now being taken much more seriously. It's a required course at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. There's a best-selling business book called Humor Seriously that's becoming a must-read at many organizations. And more and more business media are emphasizing the importance of vulnerability, authenticity, and transparency in leaders, each of which is a hallmark of stand-up comedy. I'm going to ask you, are you seeing these trends as well? And if so, what are your thoughts? But I also wanted to interject this just released um, survey from Oracle of 12,000 consumers and business leaders across 14 countries in which 88% of consumers said they're looking for new experiences to make them smile and laugh. 91% of people prefer brands to be funny and 72% would choose a brand that uses humor over the competition. But 
95% of business leaders fear using humor in customer interactions. So knowing, obviously, you are very client-centric, and obviously clients look to us to help them break through and connect with their target audiences. So what do you make of this disconnect in terms of the business leaders being fearful of using comedy and humor, but the target audience saying, if you use it, I will buy your product or service. So let's let's start by looking at the world we're living in right at the moment. It's not an awful lot to be super happy about. And in that survey, I was so astonished by the headline number, which was that 47% of people haven't been happy or haven't felt happy for truly happy for over two years. So this is the world that we're experiencing now. And who would have thought pandemics, war, food scarcity, high energy prices, inflation, you couldn't read this novel and believe it. And here we are living it. So I think people are just not totally focused on happiness just at the moment, but certainly we all would love to find a way to laugh more and to to really be in situations which make us feel joy. Because as you said just now, when you're going over the statistics and the, you know, important part that humor plays in the business world today, it's it's part of really enjoying the work that we do. It's part of being part of a community. And I saw this extremely clearly. One of the CEOs we work with, uh, Paul Hudson, who's the CEO of uh, Sanofi, the French, a large French multinational pharmaceutical company, his first town hall, which I was lucky to be present at, he came in, he started talking about the products and how excited he was to join Sanofi. And then he talked about what his mom really was excited about in terms of the products that Sanofi actually brings to the market. And everyone was laughing. And from that moment, he wasn't talking at people. He was with people and they were really connecting with him. And he has this lovely, wonderful, and just charismatic way of putting people at ease in a way that that makes them laugh. And you could see really the absolute bond that humor brings to people that knits them together. And it was just such a great example, which he carries through in so many different settings, because that's part of his very authentic leadership style. So when you look at leaders and they say they're worried, of course, they recognize this. I do think that the survey shows that people realize that humor does bring people together. And how important is that now when we've been so isolated and there's hybrid work or remote work, finding a way to engage people in a workplace to make them want to come back to the office, to make them feel part not only of their little team that gets on Zoom every day, but really make them feel part of this workplace community. Humor is one of the most important tools you can use in order to create that bond. But people are insecure about how to do it. It has to be authentic. And not everybody is used to being a leader who jokes or brings up humor in the course of a conversation. It's a learning experience. It's a creative art. You and your team, Steve, have really worked on this for quite some time. And I've heard from some of your team members that when you first asked them to stand up and actually do a stand-up comedy, they weren't really sure that they were going to be really good at it. So it's not something that necessarily comes naturally to everyone. It is an art that you have to learn. And just like anything else, you have to make it part of you know your own personality and you have to make it part of your leadership style so that it does come across as something that's genuine. 
so I think it's it's something that needs to be taught, something that needs to be practiced. And that's why people are a little bit hesitant because when humor goes wrong, it can really go wrong. <laughs> so right. you pe- people would rather not go there than, than risk creating some kind of unintended response or reaction. Makes and perfect it, sense. Yeah. And I think we've seen that. I mean, I, it's a great point, Kathy, right? We've seen that with, with many companies who, who try to be funny. And Steve alluded to this at the outset, right? But it's interesting that within our industry, within PR and communications, it seems like, uh, at least our general feeling, is that there is more reticence to use humor. Whereas if you see within creative and advertising shops, you look at all these extremely hilarious commercials from the insurance companies like you know, Progressive, Allstate, and uh, State Farm, and Geico, et cetera. They seem to really thrive on it and use it pretty easily and seamlessly without much repercussions on the negative side. Is there a reason why we're not seeing more of that adopted or widely across the PR industry? Well, I would go back to the point that you have to really figure out how to do it right. And, you know, an ad is a creative imagery, really. It's a short moment in time, whereas PR is about dialogue and it's about creating a conversation. So it's harder for people who are perhaps a little bit insecure about how to be funny in a way that's appropriate. It's hard to make a conversation really shaped around fun or humor. It just takes a little bit more practice. So I think that PR people probably have a a harder task or a larger hill to climb, if I can refer back to Steve's favorite activity, which is mountain climbing. (laughs) So a a larger hill to climb in order to, to really achieve what one can do with humor. So Kathy, obviously you run a global organization and China, I mean, I think you're the largest PR firm in China. Obviously you have a major presence in India. In terms of your internal conversations, do you have to be mindful of, of, of humor and what's, what's, what, you know, those of us in the States might find humorous versus China versus India? How, how do you approach that in terms of your conversations? So I think the, there is a common perspective about enjoying humor. And if you look at survey data from, from the Asian region, it's relatively similar in terms of what people want from a brand and how they will follow a brand if it's funny and how they feel more loyal to the brand if there's humor embedded in it. So there's that commonality. Of course, there are cultural differences and there are language differences. We all know some funny stories about language or a label that's been used that means something totally different in another language and it makes people giggle in a way that's not not the funny kind of giggle. So I, I think you do have to be sensitive and you have to check, but you can go in with the premise that everyone in most cultures really does embrace the fact that brands should be connected to something that's an enjoyable experience. And we've seen this evolution of people wanting brands to be experiences. And I think that that really shows us that humor in all cultures is part of an experience. It actually unlocks an experience in a more deeply meaningful way than than anything else that you really could do. So I think that we can see a certain universality, if you can use that word, for wanting to create something that crosses cultures and does actually touch people in a way that makes them feel happy. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that the concept of authenticity is also something that transcends barriers. I think people really want to know that you mean what you say, 
And part of that, I feel, is how an organization is able to leverage humor and those types of ways to, to cope with the with stressors and anxiety in, in their own organization. So as a matter of fact, Peppercom, as you might know, has been engaged by a number of different companies since the pandemic started with how we can use humor to help my employees who are all feeling really stressed because of COVID, because of inflation and things like that, and connecting it to their overall emotional and mental health. And obviously, Rudafin has a really robust employee engagement practice. So I was wondering if you could share a little, Kathy, on how your teams in particular have been counseling clients on these issues that are more hot button because everybody's feeling them, but also when we talk about societal crises and things that pop up in the news and whether it's hot political issues and things like that, but how do you address those things with your teams? Well, first of all, I don't think much of the social issues are connected to humor in any way, shape, or form. But one thing that did absolutely strike me, and and we're we're all of us in the communication field are trying every day to manage these one crisis after another that's popping up in the social scene, and you see all these divisions and groups that are having widely differing points of view on just about every issue you can imagine. And it fragments down into gender, income, region, political. It it just gets finer and finer. But what does bring people together and what I was really struck by in the data that I've seen recently is that humor actually transcends any values that a brand would have or any price points that a brand would have. And I was surprised by that because we have actually focused so heavily on the Unilever approach, you know, that the brands have to have a social value set that connects with their population. But actually, you can, you can bring people together in a much more, let's say, productive fashion than trying to figure out, you know, should this ice cream have this set of social values or should, you know, the, the famous mayonnaise be actually friendly? So if you would step away from that for a moment where we've had this huge lens focused before and really step back and look at how we can bring everyone together in a way that makes them laugh as a team, as a group, as a community, I think that we would actually be really be better off. And people are searching for some kind of commonality or some kind of community. And so I think this is really something that's super interesting and something that I hadn't realized um, which I think is really part of, of course, Steve, and your team's focus in terms of using humor, which is a, a, a way to bring people together. Well, speaking of bringing people together, I wanted to talk about your dad, if I could, for a few minutes. I mean, obviously, widely revered and recognized as one of the founding fathers of, of public relations. And I'm curious, what type of workplace culture did he engender? Was humor a part of David Finn's zeitgeist. What can you share with us? So the kind of culture that he created was very distinctive one. So he, it, was, it was really a flat culture. He would wander around the office and go into someone's office unannounced and sit down and say, what are you working on? Um, and someone would be like, especially young people, they were like, oh my God, the, <laughs> the chairman and CEO is coming to my office. What am I going to say? And he'd say, oh, you're writing a press release. Oh, let's tell me about it. Or someone would come to him and say, can you look at this press release? And then he's a very critical writer. So he would say, well, actually, that's not really grabbing you at the, you know, at the top. Let's do this together. And he would go to his computer. He would sit down with the, with this young person and he would actually write the press release together. 
and he did that. He loved the, he loved our, our field. And so he loved to do that. That was one of his greatest fun things to do was to actually sit with a young person and write a press release together. So it was that kind of culture where you would constantly see my dad wandering around the office popping into people's offices and, you know, sharing like his thoughts on something. And it really made people smile to, to have that kind of day-to-day interaction. And anybody could walk into his office. There was never a problem about setting meetings up or being, let's say, uh, standoffish. So everyone knew that they could walk into his office. That's That's awesome. That's like the the definition of servant leadership, which you hear about so much now. But it sounds like he was open, accessible, and especially for the younger people, very much a mentor. Now, there are a couple of things that he did that were a little bit, always made you feel a little on edge. So he loved to talk about how we all had to learn to embrace someone else's point of view and, you know, that we had to look at every problem from every angle and not get stuck in our own way of thinking. And so when he would go to a dinner party or be in a social setting, he would often take the other side of view of the person who was talking <laughs> and so everybody would like get on edge because he would be very passionate about it and have this great argument for like an hour or whatever and then the very end of it he would say just kidding <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> and it was like oh my god scary moment there but we learned from it we learned that you can you know you really have to try to get in someone else's shoes and just talk about funny moments. There were so many times where he got very passionate about something and he just got taken away. And I remember one time, you know, as you know, he's a great photographer and was constantly going to museums all over the world with his huge pack of camera equipment, which he rolled on a tripod. And I always worried he'd roll over some old lady. But mm-hmm. one day I was in a museum in Florence with him and all of a sudden he like disappeared. I was like, where'd he go? Where is he? And he was crawling on the floor under a table. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? And he said, look at the legs. They're carved by Donatello. And he discovered <laughs> this said no one, no plaque, no sign or whatever. He had just walked by and discovered that these, you know, legs had these wonderful sculptural carvings on them. So he was unabashedly unafraid to plunge in on anything that was like passionately of interest to him. And, you know, just go for it. So he was always a lot of fun in unexpected ways. Yeah, I think you've got to have a, a, a good sense of humor and a great, great personality to do some of those things, right? To, to have the type of confidence, right? To go through a whole conversation at dinner, taking an opposing viewpoint and then come back and say, not, you know what, I was just kidding you. So I'm really glad that there was that type of environment there. I'm wondering from your perspective as well, Kathy, uh, where do you find humor specifically and whether that's, you know, comedians or movies, late night shows, or are there unexpected places you find humor that makes you laugh that helps you to take your own edge off? Well, so I'm not very sophisticated in where I go to look for humor, I have to admit, but I'll say off work half hour before, you know, as the evening breaks down to actually watch Mandarin soap operas, which everybody thinks is really weird, but it actually keeps my language up and the culture point, Steve, that you mentioned earlier, it helps me get into and understand how to be sure that I'm understanding a cult, a humor in another culture. So that's, that's kind of one kind of odd thing that I actually do. And if you really want to know our most embarrassing humor, humorous moment, I'm glad to share that one too. When I was first going to the World Economic Forum in Davos, first time I'd never been there. I didn't know anything about it. It was many years ago. 
And of course, I was going with the chairman and CEO of one of the big Swiss companies. And so I was dressed very formally and, and so on in my best heels. And of course, you do not wear heels in Davos. The ice is incredibly thick. The <laughs> only thing you wear are boots with large rubber you know, soles. And so I stepped out onto the ice, crashed down, and for the next three hours of meetings, I was tightly around this 80-year-old CEO and chairman, <laughs> holding his hand and his head and feeling so mortified and embarrassed. Of course, totally inappropriate in terms of a you know elder, very formal Swiss gentleman. So that was my most, I would say, when I think back, I think that was one of my most embarrassing moments. But a, but a learning lesson nonetheless. Totally. I learned I learned what kind of shoes to take for sure. <laughs> so Kathy, just you know, in the broad scope of, of marketing, advertising, public relations, is is there a campaign that you thought used humor in just the right way to connect with an audience, to get their attention, to break through? Is there is there one or are there one or two that come to mind? Well, I would say that from a PR point of view, it's hard to think about something but from advertising there are as paul's mentioning insurance but there are also the volkswagen campaigns have been really fun and i think that it, it, it for sure you remember them and of course we all watch the super bowl ads because there's so much fun it's almost more fun than actually watching anything else during the super bowl and everyone talks about it for forever afterwards but i don't know steve what have you seen that's actually great in the pr field yeah i'm hard pressed you know, to think of really PR campaigns. I mean, we've done a few things over the years. For TGI Fridays, we try to get bartending and the flourishes that the bartenders do entered as an Olympic sport. And we mm -hmm. actually got the U.S. Olympic Committee to issue a cease and desist <laughs> note to us. And we got, it went viral. We had phenomenal publicity. We knew it was a joke. And the joke elevated the TGI Friday local restaurants. They all used it and they had their patrons, you know, supporting, you know, bartending being entered as an Olympic sport. So every now and then we have the opportunity, especially with consumer brands. Obviously, you have so many pharmaceutical brands. It's a different uh, opportunity. We just did the same thing with Dole, uh, with, um, with, believe it or not, with the Vatican, because we were talking all about forbidden fruit because they're coming out with all sorts of new fruits. And we did this biblical thing and we wanted the Pope to declare the apple excommunicated or something to that effect. It's a very dicey proposition, especially yeah. when you include religion to, mm. to humor. So we, we went through countless reviews with, with Dole's legal people, et cetera. We checked with the Catholic church to make sure this would not be offensive. And we got, we just gotten tremendous publicity pushback from only one person, a rabbi. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Who said, who said the forbidden fruit has nothing to do with the Catholic church. It, it goes back to the very beginning of the Bible. So learn your biblical history before you launch one of these campaigns. So there's always somebody out there that you're going to upset, Kathy. Yeah, totally. Only one person that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that, that's a world record for Steve. So I, I It is. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to offending scores and scores of people. But Kathy, I, I just wanted to ask, you know, for your, your thoughts in terms of, do you, do you think we'll see, you know, as the uncertainty continues, as the, the, the nonstop negative news continues, 
Do you think we'll see those, I forget what it was, 91% mm-hmm. of business leaders become a little bit more open-minded about using humor in the right way moving forward? Well, I think for, it'll happen first in the general engagement in the workplace because people are really, really keen to get back together and to have their employees in the office at least part of the time. The, the bonds that keep us together do fray if there's no in-person interaction at all. And people are used to now being at home and it's it's hard to get back into another schedule. So I think that making people feel joy at being together and however you can actually do that. And of course, humor is so essential as a foundation for that. I think people will begin to realize that it's an important thing to think about. In terms of brands, you know, there's so much fear of offending someone, you know, as we were just talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people know when they take a position, half the people will be happy and half the people will be unhappy. So you have to be really tentative about when to step out. I think if people would, if things would become a little bit more unified, I, I, I think you'd see humor become more of a tool that people would use. Mm-hmm. But I think we're still in a place at this juncture where people feel a little, feel a little bit uneasy and uncertain. Those very high numbers of, you know, 90, just about 90% of CEOs saying that they think it's important and it should be a tool and an equal number saying that they're uncertain and wary of how to do it. So, you know, whenever you have that kind of tension, the shift will happen at some point, but that just about is, you know, much of a, of a, of a challenge that I've ever seen the 90, 90, 90, I want to do it. 90, I'm afraid to do it. That's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's indicative of the times in which we live. No question yes, about right. it. Paul, Paul, did you want to wrap wrap things up and and thank our our the woman who signs our checks? <laughs> I do, I do. Kathy, this has been wonderful. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on and discussing with us why humor and laughter is so important. And and of course, thank you for leading by example in in that regard, both within the organization and within the industry as a whole. So much appreciated, Kathy. And hope to have you on again in the near future. Well, thank you very much. And I just knew the first time I met Steve and we sat down to lunch, we laughed so much. I knew this was going to be a joyful interaction. So all the more power to you for the, the, the really creative work that you've done in this field. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you so much. Take care. Right. We'll see you all next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.